You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm still your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I go back and forth on a topic we've been teasing for a while, pickleball. This is a pretty unique activity that is definitely growing quickly. Why has pickleball grown so much in recent years? What lessons can be gleaned from this activity that could be applied elsewhere? And are there additional outdoor rec activities experiencing significant participation growth? Let's get into it. So we we took a few weeks off during our break. I feel like I saw more articles about pickleball than I could have imagined, right? Like I saw, <laughs> I saw so much positive news and like, check it out. This new sport is amazing. There's people everywhere who are falling in love with it and, and kids are getting outside and it's seniors are loving this sport too because it's, it's a little bit more low impact, a little bit slower in terms of the pace of the game so that- Smaller court. It, yeah, smaller court. Yeah, yeah. So, so for- Folks who might find tennis a little bit out of reach, pickleball would be a great activity. And then for every article with a, a lovely positive message, there's there's articles or social media posts just bashing it because because it's loud or there it keeps kids in the park too late and they're rambunctious or like there's there's arguments that folks are making against pickleball and, and just sort of like. You know, I'd, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but it seems like there's a little bit of like the old person on their porch shaking their fist at the kids in the park. Like, so I'm excited to talk to you, Kelly, about pickleball because you get pickleball data from the pack, don't you? I do. I love this subject. I love Tell me about it. it. I've never fa- played it's, it. It's I'm- the fastest growing sport in, in not in history, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's actually um, and and. You caught me a little off guard. I don't know off the top of my head. I think, I think, and I'm going to check this next time you're talking for a few minutes. I think mm-hmm. we're we're over 10 million on pickleball and growing oh, wow. at a rate of something like, God, over the pandemic is up over 100%. I think the average growth rate, annual average annual growth rate for pickleball is 46%. Goodness. <laughs> it's not. So I think anytime you have something like that, and it's a fad that, you know, people, people, some people are just going to stand against it you know, yeah. just because it's so popular. And, you know, you've got a lot of suburban Americans that are, that are hungry for something to do with other people and pickleball is great for that. And a lot, a lot of people are participating And yeah, you know, if you bought a house, and it back to a park and you were thinking, oh, so peaceful. Pickleball is probably going to piss you off a little bit. I mean, it, it's yeah. honestly, I kind of, I would like to have it on my white noise machine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's anytime you get something that's that popular, that fast, um, there are going to be people that are, that are going to just be haters. They're pickle haters. It's called pickle haters. haters. <laughs> I do. I, I hate pickles, the food, but I, I would love to love pickleball, the activity. Yeah, I I I do love a spicy dill pickle. Yes, I do. But yeah, pickleball. I would love to play it. Um, it's one of those things that I I just I haven't gotten around to because there's mm-hmm. too many other things to do. Yeah. Well, here's what's interesting to me, and I'll I'll, I'll take over for a sec so you can go look it up. But um, what's interesting to me is that it's an activity that is making use of existing facilities, right? And so if you've got tennis courts in your park, you could easily play pickleball on those tennis courts, right? Um, it's not it's not 
such a unique setting that it has to be a specific pickleball court. It is in in some areas a very social activity. And what I mean by that is like here in Denver, there are places where you can you know, sign up online to rent your or reserve your indoor pickleball court for an hour or two hours or whatever. And then just like just like bowling, for instance, or top golf, there's a bar and there's food and there's like there's a hang to it. And any activity you can do well enough but still have a lot of fun and like maybe have a beer or like have have some bar food or something you know hot dog or popcorn or like whatever sort of food you might get like that that increases the social aspect that draws folks to an activity lowers that that barrier to entry um helps folks who might feel shaky in their in their performance to go you know what it's fine we're all going to get out there and we're going to find it on the court uh, and and that sort of accessibility, I think, is one of the reasons why you said forty six percent growth. Like, you know, every year there's there's half as many more people doing it as there were in the previous year. That's killer. That's amazing. Yeah, it pretty it pretty much is. I don't know is is that kind of growth sustainable? Maybe. Um, well, yeah, no, it's it's an early it, it's in its early stages. I would think it um, is, and yeah. it's and because it's social, it has a, it has an opportunity for huge growth. Yeah continued huge growth. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I think it's great to see people out. Um, and the demographic it attracts is diverse and mm-hmm. in terms of age and, you know, income and ethnicity and race, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to see. It's kind of a, it's kind of a sport of equality. Um, and, you know, because of just the way it's played, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people, a lot of people are actually really good at it. Really good. I mean, the things they, they can do with that paddle. It's kind of nuts. I a, just love watching people do something, do something new, and get super good at it. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting paddle because it's this big, like, kind of rectangular wooden paddle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's what. Well, and that the ball is like a wiffle ball, basically. Yeah, it makes that clocky noise, like clock, yeah. clock. It's it, it's you know, I'll I'll out myself as sort of making fun of it a couple of years ago when it was more niche. Um, and, and, you know, not paying it as much attention or paying it the respect it deserved, but like, goodness gracious, is it growing fast? Um, maybe partially because it is sort of like a little bit silly and it's just this slow moving, I I say slow moving. It's, it's, it's a little bit slower than tennis, right? It's a little bit slower than badminton, maybe not badminton. Anyway, it's positioned itself advantageously to grow that quickly. It really has. And um, again, I think that there that pickleball is taking advantage of the social aspect of the sport mm-hmm. and, and you know, really working with with um, pickleball players and pickleball mm-hmm. leagues. It's the pickleball leagues that are driving that participation growth, right? Anytime you live in, anytime you live in, just go ahead and Google um, pickleball and the name of wherever you live. And I guarantee you, you're going to find a pickleball league to play in. I'll see if I can find like a pickleball league finder. Mm-hmm. website we can that's a great idea we'll put, it, we'll put it in the we'll throw <laughs> that in the chat so if you want to find a pickleball league in your local area we can we can help you out with e- that even if only to support gathering the information just kind of like doing the exercise of seeing if that exists in whatever areas our listeners live in that might be I, a fun well exercise. i did it in, i did it here in frederick maryland yeah. and it turns out Oh yeah, you bet there is. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll tell you what, in Denver, Colorado, there's plenty of pickleball groups. Very outdoorsy town. 
And that, this is a kind of a false equivalence, but thinking of activities that are, that are emerging and that have been around maybe for a while, but just have picked up a lot of steam lately. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge activity, but disc golf. Go oh, yeah. figure. Yeah, it's it's growing pretty. It's It's got a nice little following lately, too. And I'm seeing references to it. And the same goes with pickleball, by the way. And some mm-hmm. of the pickleball references, they are usually kind of making poking fun at it a little bit, but not disc golf. For God's mm-hmm. sakes, I'm seeing disc golf everywhere. And I'm not talking about like physical. I'm talking about in media. I'm seeing mm-hmm. disc golf. I'm seeing stories about disc golf. I'm, t- I'm seeing interesting. stories about disc golf players. I mean, I don't remember who they are. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that seems that seems to contrast a bit the the pickleball story that we're telling, which is that it's easily accessible. It doesn't take a whole heck of a lot of equipment and what little equipment it takes. I bet you can rent at whatever facility has indoor pickleball courts. You know, like you just need yeah. a paddle. Everyone needs a paddle and then you need a ball for the group. Um, but disc golf requires a set of Frisbees, right? Just like you'd yeah. have a, a, a set of golf clubs. You would similarly have different discs for different distances, different types of shots. But interesting that it's grown. I that that's a sport that I'm not tracking as much. I just know my my only interaction has been that on campus at the University of Northern Colorado, where I did my undergrad, there was a disc golf course that wove its way through the campus. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it, it was pretty neat. Did you ever play? No, I, I played um, played ultimate frisbee. We had a we had an intramural ultimate frisbee team, but that was as close as I got to frisbee golf. Totally, totally, completely different. Couldn't be more different. It just also used a Frisbee. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, well, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter because it's kind of ancient history, but yeah, ultimate Frisbee was a thing at University of Arizona back in the day too. Sure. Why not? It's it's a fun team sport. Um, it doesn't require a whole heck of a lot of space. It's great. It's, it's, it's non-contact. Basically a soccer field. Yeah, well, we always played on a little bit of a smaller, um, smaller space. So we two teams or two games would be happening on the football field at the same time, oriented perpendicular to the way you would play a football game. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's just more space in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, do, do you have any other activities in there that are that are growing quickly that we might want to know? I had a I had an interesting little little blip on cross country skiing. Oh, interesting. which okay. was which is interesting is because basically it looks like downhills down a little bit in terms of the number of participants. I mean, they had they had an unbelievable number of skier visits, according mm-hmm. to the National Skiers Association last year, was 64 million, which is four million more than wow. their best season ever. But cross country was interesting because it was kind of a mixed bag in terms of weather for cross country. And really, over the past probably 10 years, some cross country ski centers have have started to build in snowmaking on some of their some of their trails so that they can manage um some of the some of the vagaries of weather especially in the northeast yeah um but it, the the number of people that tried cross country skiing and then stuck with it during the pandemic is actually really high so that it was i was i was actually so i was surprised to see it and the reason i love cross country skiers and outdoors because if you've got someone doing cross-country skiing, they're doing a whole bunch of other outdoor activities. I mean, these people are outdoors, yeah. right? They're biking. Outdoors people. I mean, especially especially gravel on road, mm-hmm. right? That's that's kind of a cross-activity for cross-country skiers that everybody just expects now. Of course you're. <laughs> um, and 
Yeah, it's so, you know, some of the some of the things that cross country skiers are talking about is, you know, how do we make how do we make it more fun and exciting for the kids? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not everywhere is Minnesota where, you know, every high school has a cross country ski team. Yeah, but it's sort of a little microcosm of, you know, what happens in in kind of stalwart sports that have been around for a while. Is there anything that you can do to give them the spice that something like pickleball has? I mean, think about mm-hmm. think about skating. And there's another one that was so hot from the, you know, during the pandemic. You're talking about roller skating? I'm talking about skateboard. Skateboard. Oh, skateboards. Yeah. Okay. I was sorry. My yes, end of one, my yes. end of one assumption was uh roller rollerblading and roller skating because I there were so many roller skaters around Denver during the pandemic. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but roller skates blew up. <laughs> yeah, I've got a pair too. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, I've also like I have I have recently purchased and them? I have traditional skates, which yeah. I went ahead and I, when I was a kid, I skated all the time. Man, I was in Vegas. I skated everywhere. And I found this, I found this when I was a kid mm-hmm. that you can buy this backstopper so that when you're hauling ass or going yeah. down a hill or something, you you don't have, I mean, there's no way to stop, right? It's like, right. you know, it's not even longboard material where you can just, you know, try and skid to the side and hope mm-hmm. that you're not going to basically catch an edge and kill yourself. But yeah, man, skate is, is, but skateboarding, we measure skateboarding. Skateboarding, yeah, um, for sure. Super hot. Still super hot. Does that um, include longboarding or is that a different activity? That does include longboarding. Okay, very cool. Yeah, that's kind of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 super interesting to see, you know, the the smaller sports, you know, when they get, when they get growth, when they get mm-hmm. significant growth, you could see it right away in the data because, you know, percentage increase is much, much higher. You know, when you're seeing something with a 50% um, increase, you're going to take a look at that, even when there are only a couple million participants, mm-hmm. um, which was the case with, you know, some of those smaller activities. And there are some activities that are that are lagging a little bit. Like I'm seeing lags in things like adventure racing, you know, those kinds of activities. Yeah, we're seeing that indoor cycling has not yet recovered from a, a pretty big hit during the pandemic. Um, folks who were riding indoor as a member of a group, so that would be like, fitness classes and, and, um, gym events, that sort of stuff. Um, that took a pretty big hit during COVID and folks haven't returned to that in the same way. And similarly indoor writing at home, uh, or, or I should say indoor writing as an individual. So it's like everyone else who might be writing out uh, away from home, but they're not a, a part of a class or any sort of group activity. Like that took a hit during COVID and also hasn't recovered. How, you know, I've got anecdotes about gravel and I've seen the data, but tell me a little bit more about what's going on in gravel. You know, I wish I could tell you more. I, I, most of what I have is anecdotal evidence too, because the the industry has these terms like gravel and mountain and road, and we know exactly what we mean when we talk about road riding and exactly what we mean when we talk about gravel riding. But to try and do consumer research and have riders use the same definitions that we use proves very difficult. And so typically what we fall back on is describing activities by where they happen. And so we'll talk about riding on paved surfaces. And we'll sort of translate that into road and riding on unpaved surfaces. And that could be either mountain or gravel, right? So do you um, ask about what type of bike they're using on the surfaces? No, no. That's that's another one that's really tough to get reliable data from because folks who are not avid or or maybe haven't been riding for, for very long. And, and I say avid, I think it has less to do with frequency and more to do with just familiarity and, and awareness of the activity and the yeah. products used. You know, trying to describe a gravel bike as like drop bar, but knobby tire and like 
you know, it's it it gets so murky those those data, and it they're just data that I'm not as confident in. That makes that sense. We, yeah, it's it's hard to get at, but but we know that the sale of gravel bicycles. So we so we do have um, point of sale data from Circana, previously called NPD Group, and we do know that the growth of that category has been significant, and and it's sort of lumped together with like cyclocross and it's gravel slash cyclocross within the road category has been performing very well over the last few years. And, and you know, sort of similar, similarly to electric bicycles was a category that was growing before the pandemic. And so when it got hit, it wasn't hit quite as bad as some other categories that were stable before the pandemic and, and, and not widening their supply chain actively. How are group rides going? I mean, that's important to mountain bike and certainly to road bike. Yeah. Um, are the, do you have any indication that group rides are are stable, growing, shrinking? Yeah, we. I don't know that it's been long enough since the pandemic for us to to circle back and find that out. You know, like and unfortunately, there are some of those trends that we just have to wait a few years to tease out of the data. Yeah. Uh, but we do know that that social aspect, and we started talking about pickleball at the beginning of this conversation. But we can we can sort of reframe this as a conversation about how important it is for an activity to have a social component to it. Um, folks who started riding during the pandemic, we we surveyed and we were trying to understand what it would take to keep them riding post-pandemic when conditions changed back to what they were and we're maybe commuting to the office, we have other outside-of-the-home commitments and things. What would it take to keep you on the bike? And social components were number one. It was like invitations from a friend or a family member to ride or getting hooked up with some sort of group ride, leaving from a shop, leaving from some coffee joint, leaving from whatever, a known location so that you can plug into a network of folks that are also excited about the same activity that you're excited about. Uh, that's so critical to maintaining the high participation that we've seen over the last three years. Um, and, and we've been trying to like champion that message as much as possible because that's a, that's an easy lever for the industry to pull like support more group rides support more organized rides shops can support informal group rides in in a lot of ways and that's what's going to sustain participation and in turn sustain market activity yeah i think this is critical to just about every every bit of outdoor recreation and you know i think a social aspect is is excellent for the health of participation even when um, there are people that prefer to do it by themselves. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there could, you could be part of a hiking group and maybe never go on a hike with the people, but there's still a community there of people that are excited about th the same things you're excited about. Mm -hmm. They may pickleball. I mean, it's not just pickleball. It's not just hiking. It's not just the ride. It's, you know, it's the cookout. It's the beer. It's your yes. it's the friends. Yeah. And that positive reinforcement and that positive association yeah. around your activity and you know if you're an outdoor and you're not thinking about marketing on the social aspect of the activity that your gear represents or supports mm -hmm. then you know maybe maybe spend some time thinking about it yeah really, perception is everything i mean we we talked about that what last week when we were talking about the economy this isn't this is where it becomes important too i mean think about sports where you know you're kind of it's it's sort of a, it's a solo effort but having friends around is like key to safety, like climbing, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. There's a I mean, think about all the all of the different activities, fishing, 
where you're basically, you don't want to be super close to everybody, but yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What a good example. Yeah. I, I did a fly fishing trip to Montana a few weeks ago now. And yeah, same sort of thing. You know, you, you start out in the morning at, at we were camping. And so we were sitting at the campsite having our coffee and like rigging up our fly boxes and stuff. And then we get out to where we're going to fish and we all spread out a couple hundred yards and we'll like holler at each other when when one of us lands a fish or, you know, when something goes horribly wrong and we need to laugh about it with our friends. But um, yeah, that, you know, that social aspect to it, an individual activity is still important. Yeah. I think the the activity that I'm most familiar with, with that, with that particular mix triathlon. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about how, how you see that as both of those. <laughs> well, I, t- I tended to train alone. I mean, there are other people that every once in a while, you know, you, you would train with a little bit, you know, it's a race alone. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an internal, it's an internal battle that you're fighting. And that's, yeah. that's kind of where it was for me. And yeah, you know, I competed and I cared about what my competitors were doing, but mostly, you know, when I train it'd be like, I'm just going to train harder. I'm training right now. They're not training right now. I don't feel good. They don't feel good. I'm training. They're not. I was like that, but when you, you get together, when you get it's triathlons like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was for me. I mean, I'm an N equals one here. But then after you know, you have a little training thing. Maybe some people are riding a bike, or some people are some people are running, some people are swimming, or mm-hmm. some people are doing an alternate thing. But you all come back together and like, you know, go out for a happy hour or get yeah. a salad with your dressing, dressing on the side and your <laughs> chicken skinless without anything on it. But you know, the idea was, it was still so, you were still hanging out with other triathletes. Yeah. And my, I think my favorite part of triathlon was right before a race. And then that night after the race, when everybody started together and you're kind of nervous, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting into the water and everything's just potential. And then afterwards, when, you know, you're hanging out and everybody's like, you know, exhausted, but relaxed and maybe having a beer and getting a massage and having food and just yeah. sharing race stories. I, I did love that aspect of it, especially the race stories. I loved hearing people's race stories. Yeah, I think, you know, so so that's definitely a great example. I think, you know, those larger organized events are, are like the pinnacle of what we're talking about with the social aspect. But I'm also thinking back to a lot of group rides we did from the shop in Dallas, we would have um, mountain bike rides that were like really sort of beginner, maybe intermediate mountain bike rides um, that the shop would sponsor. And we had one guy that had a a propane grill and a couple packs of hot dogs and burgers and like, you know, the, the bag of a variety of of Frito-Lay chips and stuff. And yeah, we go out there and, and, we're all riding except for the one guy who's back and grilling the burgers and prepping the food and stuff. And then you finish riding and there's like a cooler, a Gatorade and a cooler beer. And you sit there and you go like, man, that one thing that we did, like, that was crazy. Did you, and how did you, and then, oh, I'm no way. That long, I got to just go over that drop. Yeah. Oh my God. I yeah. Hate. And that community is so important to uh, participation, but it's also an opportunity for that particular dealer to go, Hey, you know, I noticed that maybe you were having an issue with this or that, or like, oh, you broke this thing out there. We've got the van here. We can haul it back to the shop if you want to pick it up Tuesday, that sort of thing. You know, th- there's a lot of opportunity in that interaction. Yeah. Let me just tighten that cable for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's also a great opportunity to be a bud and, and not you know, like monetize every single thing and, and just go, hey, you know what? Let me let me fix this flight for you while we're out here, because I know I can do in two minutes what might take you 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, that's a world that I want to live in. We're we're 
where uh, you, people are being you know, burned. People just help. It's not always about you know taking taking money out of your pockets. And yeah, maybe maybe we could all you know get together, care about each other a little bit, and in the end, the money will work itself out. And if people are participating and they feel That's part right. of a group, they feel that they belong to a community, they're going to continue to participate and spend money. Yeah. Belong to a community. Yeah, that's so critical. I dig that. And, and you know, like you said, there there are still folks, and I'll put myself in this category as a solo cyclist. Like, I really do prefer to ride by myself. I still love riding with the group, but I would much rather just ride by myself, no music, just alone with my thoughts, moving meditation, sort of. Nice. Um, but still, that social component is really big, you know? Yeah. No, nobody is unaffected by how important that social connection can be to maintaining participation. Absolutely. Okay. And anything else on pickleball or any of the other topics? Like I, I don't suppose you have any sort of market data for pickleball. I don't think I have it on pickleball, but look at my cool cheat sheet here and see, I've got kayaks, water sports, stand-up paddle, kayak. Stand-up paddle. That might be and that's one. just water sports. So camping, water sports. I took pictures when Julie was doing her presentation <laughs> and I have, I have, I'm tempted to just go ahead and translate it all on the spreadsheets at this point. That's funny. Because I do use it, but yeah, it's what's the market's interesting. I mean, the market is okay. I mean, dollars, what we're down, we're down 1%. You're talking about overall outdoor. Yeah, to, totally. It's 20 billion overall for outdoor mm-hmm. um, down 1% dollars down 4% units. Obviously, average price is up two percent. That makes sense. Yeah, but um, yeah, there are a couple of categories that are doing that are doing quite well. That they highlighted one of them that I thought was really interesting was um, sixty-four ounce metal water bottles, right? Insulated water bottles, big yeah. ones, not the yeah. not the normal size ones. That You're talking about the big Stanleys. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm very they, familiar they, with the large Stanley cups. <laughs> Does your wife have any? It's just fucking two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.